0: To a very special episode of the Stick to Hockey podcast. We got two legends who both played in the five overtime game back in 2000. Two guys didn't have a shot on goal in that game. One of them's on this podcast. The other one was on our last episode. That was Brian Boucher. But, Chief, you had three shots on goal. Jonesy, nothing.
1: It was. I'm a better player. That's <laughs> why. You had that? Jonesy's, Jonesy's the first player in the history. I think he played 35 minutes or more, maybe even more than that. It could have been because the coach overplayed him. He wasn't thinking. But anyways, he had zeros across the board. I mean, no hits, no shots, no penalty minutes, no assists, nothing. I had a couple, you know, numbers. I had some hits, I had a few shots, and that it ended there. But
0: He, he actually had, it, it, it you had an important number in that game, though. I had the plus one, brother.
2: I was on oh, yeah. the ice. <laughs>
1: Was on I was Jones, on the ice. Jonesy took a shift in that game. Uh, I'm not lying or exaggerating. He jumps over the boards. I forget what, you know, what overtime it was. He stood by the bench for like 10 seconds, and he goes, change. And he jumped back on the bench, and he told <laughs> Rammer, he goes, don't put me out there again. I'm done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was, was pretty all- funny. That was a wild night. We've got a lot well, what, of good memories from that game.
3: I, I would have to ask Keith, what did you do in the locker room before that, before the start of that period? What did you gas up with? Obviously, it wasn't great.
2: <laughs> no, we we had the pizza going. We had some guys that were uh, sitting there and getting uh, IVs and that. But we, uh, I know, I had a couple of slices of pizza. I had sauce dripping all over my mouth, and <laughs> I the way talk tells that I told everybody, I'm like a bear. I've been hibernating all, all year. I'm ready for this fifth overtime. And we went out and won it in the fifth overtime. It was, it was an incredible game and a, an incredible series as well because we were down 2 nothing after the first two games, losing both at home. Yeah. I mean, just watching it at home was hard to
3: stay awake. I mean, that's, a, that's what I remember from it. I stayed awake, but it was a battle to stay awake. So to play that is incredible.
1: Yeah, it was uh... – Pretty special uh, uh, night, that's for sure, to be able to be involved in a game like that, five overtimes. And I coached one in the American Hockey League, too, a five-overtimer. But uh, that was a great night, uh, you know, obviously coming out of that series, winning it. Um, you know, I remember game two at home that Rick talked. started a five-on-five brawl there. That might have changed the series a little bit. Uh, it was pretty funny how he... Uh, approach that <laughs> but yeah we got her going there five on five I was on the ice and she kind of changed the momentum of the series I think after that.
2: Yeah late in that game chief I don't know if you remember this or not I was pushing and shoving with Bob Boogner, uh, the boogeyman yeah. and he was giving me a couple punches in the head Luke Richardson didn't feel like he could get there fast enough yeah so he took a slap shot with the puck inside his own blue line And hit Bugner right in the uh, right in the chest, dropped him to the ice, and I was dying laughing. And then uh, the league was all up; it was being questioned about it by the Penguins after the game. And so they called Clarky, and they said, "Hey, Clarky, Penguins have a real problem with this. Luke Richardson purposely took a slap shot and hit Bugner in the chest, and they want us to suspend uh, Richardson." And Clarky, being Clarky, says, "Uh, "Let me get this right. Luke Richardson aimed at something and hit it." (laughs) <laughs> I
0: <don't think> so, <laughs> so Jones, Luke
2: you, got away with it
0: Jonesy you judged speed in the NHL when you played by how fast a guy could get there like Chief to save your ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: and he was good at it there's yeah. no doubt nobody got there quicker than Chief there's a few oh, guys yeah. that went the other way but uh, <laughs> Chief was the only guy I knew that would just be licking his chops for every, any opportunity he got to fight somebody incredible wow. I don't know if I was too excited about fighting a person, but I
1: felt I had to get in there as my job. So, try to do my job, right?
3: Well, Craig, let me ask you this. Um, going way back to the new Westminster Bruins, you had Ernie Punch McLean as a coach. What rubbed off on you having him as a
1: coach? Well, actually, Punch didn't coach me. He was there, he was around okay. the team and involved the team. Al Patterson was our coach. Okay. but just having punch around and to, to this day, every game we go to Vancouver and play, he comes down and sees us after the game and talks to us, you know, he's a legend, obviously tough guy. And, you know, was a great coach back in the day. It's just an inspiration with back when I was a player, just to have him around and being able to talk to you and talk to him and tell old stories and things like that Punch is a great storyteller, obviously, and has a lot of great ones. Uh, He's a remarkable guy, man. If you look at his life, not just in hockey, but outside of it, and some of the things that happened to him, and he's surviving, it's incredible. It's incredible. He should. He should definitely put a book out someday. Now there was a year Cliff
3: Raming had more points than you had Pims, but you were the fourth. <laughs> that's lead impossible. I was that <laughs> How is well, that's
1: possible? Because I was on his line. I was a good player. <laughs> I was a disher.
2: <laughs> I scored.
1: Boys I scored 30 goals or 25 goals and I, didn't even oh, yeah. I played on Cliffy's line there I took care of him he would get like 200 and some points a year he was a he was an unreal junior hockey player unbelievable player yeah,
0: before, I mean he was to. a
1: good NHL player too but not that yeah. level obviously you know um, but he was a very good junior player I was fortunate to play with him I think it really helped me you know get to the NHL when you play with a, a player like that you know, you get some points and things like that where you're probably never going to get him playing with another person. You know, he was that
0: good. Craig, when did you know that you wanted to be a coach? And Jonesy, when you were playing with Chief, did you know that he would be a coach? And not only that, but be a Stanley Cup winning coach?
1: Well, when I was playing with Jonesy, I had to teach these guys how to, what to do out there and how to play. So I knew eventually I'd become a coach because I'd sit there, I'd be on the bench, I didn't play a whole lot, and I'd be watching, and say, come off, and i have to tell them what they're doing wrong or doing right.
2: No. <laughs> There's some truth to that. I thought
1: I, I was going to be a coach. I, I knew I was wanted to coach. I'm not sure I was going to be a coach, but I knew I wanted to coach. When I was in Wash, I played with Jonesy and uh, Dale Hunter. And, you know, I ended up spending eight, nine years there with Dale. And him and I would just watch hockey 24-7. You know, after our games, go home, watch hockey, drink some beer. And we just talked hockey all the time. And I knew eventually I was probably going to coach because I was, you know, already passionate about it, hanging out with him and learning from him, who's a very smart man and knew the game very well. And I learned a lot from him just being around him and, and, you know, just talking hockey all the time. So I knew I was probably going to stay in the game as a coach, and I wanted to. One reason I really wanted to coach, because I wanted to be in that locker room. I love the locker room. I like being around the guys. You know, if you're not playing, the best way to do it is be a coach. I
2: I, I would agree with all those things, and I also agree with the, the part about Huntsie too, Chief. He was, he was awesome in that regard. He did a great job of, uh, you know, bringing that passion and – the ability to go out there and take the passion from watching games and turn it into something on the ice. And he always had such a great appreciation for the game that it kind of overflowed to the guys that hung around him. So we were all lucky to hang out with him. He was a big uh, factor in my hockey career as well. And there's a lot of guys that owe a lot to Dale Hunter along the way, and he continues to have a lot of Success in, in the um, Ontario Hockey League with the London Knights. So, no surprise there that the best guys that I played with, the best teammates, and the best friends I have today all love the game. All watch the game constantly. It wasn't just about playing the game, but it was also about uh, what they were doing when the games ended. And Chief did a lot of that as well. And also in practice, worked hard to uh, end a practice, ran a lot of drills where other players participated in it. Uh, that's something that always stood out to me. Rick Talk, and I thought was really similar in that way too, Chief. that Talk yeah. loved doing stuff after practice, not just for himself, but involved everybody else, uh, trying to make uh, each other better.
1: Yeah, definitely talk to. I I was uh,
2: I, I I went in, I
1: broke into the league with Talk. Um, he broke in before me, but uh, you know I really got groomed by him as a young kid. I was lucky to have him around and and just teach me the game. And uh, like you said, he's a real good coach, and he really wanted you know studied the game a lot, like we're talking about here with Jonesy and Dale. Um, he studied the game hard, you know, probably knew he was going to coach too at some point. I have a
3: question for Jonesy. Um, you had I, A couple months ago I drove by the uh, the old arena where the Baltimore Skipjacks played. I had no idea it was still in use, but not necessarily for ice. You had a couple stints there. What was it like? What was that place like? And you had some pretty good goalies for short stints too.
2: Yeah, Kolzig was there. Byron Defoe was there. Yeah. There was like – there was seven of us came up at the same time. Steve Walchuk was one of them. who we went on to have a really good National Hockey League career. Pat Peek also came in and then was injured and ended his career. Barry Trotz was the head coach. And we know how well Barry's done winning a Cup with the Capitals. And I know Chief's good friends with Barry as well. Um, there was a lot of great uh, personnel on that team. It was a good opportunity for me. I didn't stay there for long. I didn't like the bus ride, so I decided I'd rather play in the NHL. So that's, uh, but it, it was a dump. And, uh, yeah. I'm sure the I'm sure the arena's still a dump to this day. They, I it know is right across from the convention center, yeah. Yeah, Chief would have played a bunch of games there against them because every time we Hershey. had a game, we played the Hershey Bears. Every time I turned around, it was the Hershey Bears and some big ugly bugger named Bill Armstrong. The defenseman had looked like Jaws from 007 was always <laughs> breathing down my neck. That's all I remember.
1: Billy Armstrong's our, our assistant GM. Yeah. Uh, Is been, that right? Yeah, we've been with the Blues. He's a great guy. He's I it's a lot great of interview. I, I've interviewed him a few times on Sirius Radio. He's terrific. Yeah. Interview. Yeah, he's good does a good job for us with uh, the draft and everything he's really good uh i played a bunch of games there too uh back when i played i was with the hershey bears 86 87 and a little bit of 87 and 88 and we I was a huge rival the skip with us and i don't know if you guys remember a guy named gary risling played on that team he <laughs> was like their tough guy <laughs> yeah animal but they had a They had a bunch of animals. There was always fights and (laughs) I got to tell you a good story, though, about uh, the Skipjacks team. So we're in Hershey. And if you guys remember the old barn, the the, the rooms are right beside each other, right?
0: And hot as shit. You
1: just walk down the hall and walk in their room if you want. I used to walk out. And there'd be guys smoking cigarettes, on both teams like about uh, 30 feet apart from each other, and there's cigarette smoking going everywhere. And I'm like, I was a rookie, but anyways, so we had a backup goalie named John Kemp, and he was a tough guy. He was, uh, you know, he was tough for a goalie, like he could fight. I actually fought him in a hallway at a hotel one night. <laughs> First, I don't know how it started, but that's another story. But anyways, Kemper's getting his gear on, and we hear that Gary Risling's not playing tonight. So Kemper gets up and decides to walk down the hall to uh, Baltimore Skipjack's uh, dressing room. So we're kind of walking behind him like, what is he doing? Is he going to go in there and start fighting guys <laughs> to get ready for the game? He walks in a room, he's got one pad on and some of his other gear, and he stands there. He goes, what are you guys going to do tonight with your tough guy Gary Risley out of the lineup? <laughs> and everybody just, nobody, he didn't use those words. I don't want to use the words he right. used. But anyways, everybody just looked at him. And nobody did anything, went back to putting her skates back on. And he goes, I thought so. And he walked out of the room.
0: Wow. <laughs> One pat on. <laughs> uh, Chief, I got to ask you, because obviously you joined an exclusive club, winning the cup. But before the game, you know, we know those legendary speeches, or, you know, from Herb Brooks, you know, uh, you were born to be hockey players and this big dramatic thing. And Fred Shiro's win together today and walk together forever. Your pregame speech before game seven, I want to read it to you. Pump it up here. We're here for a fucking reason because we're a good fucking <laughs> hockey team, and we're going to come up with the cup here tonight. Let's fucking go. I'll tell you, that's simple. It worked. <laughs>
1: it worked. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't prepare speeches. I uh, never have. I come in and I just say what I think needs to be said. I don't think there was a lot to be said that night. Um, you know, after game six, you know, and I, and then going into game six in St. Louis, when I drove to the rink around three o'clock, I knew we we're, you know, I knew it was going to be a tough game because of the pressure our team would be under, you know, there was a hundred thousand people out there at three 30. I was in there. The it, afternoon. Was I mean, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. like, our guys going to drive in and see all this. They're going to be under a lot of pressure. It's going to be, they're going to be tight. Um, and we played that way. We weren't very good. In the game, we got beat pretty pretty easily, but after that, I felt there was a real uh, calmness and ease to our team. The morning skate in uh, Game Seven was really good, uh, very vocal and loose. I thought our guys were relaxed. We we already we already uh, won uh, ten games on a road, I think, maybe nine or ten already. We were a good road team in the playoffs, um, so there really wasn't a lot to say. Our guys were going to go out and play the game. And, We already won twice in Boston, so there wasn't a lot to be said. I was just trying to ensure them that we're here for a reason. We're a good hockey team. That's why we're here. That's that's the bottom line. And, you know, we went out in that first period. We're under a lot of heat. They came out hard. They had a power play. Binner made three or four real good saves, and we scored the first goal, and that changed everything. You know what, Craig? It's interesting because after that game six, I spoke to Keith Kachuk.
3: We were, like, in the elevator, and – while he was a little bummed out for the fans because they had been waiting for this for so many years, he said right away to me, he goes, well, they're going to win the next game. Like they're they're still going to win the Stanley Cup. Like he knew he didn't even hesitate. And I I thought that was pretty impressive the way he he said that to me, just, you know,
1: off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of confident people around the organization, uh, him being one of them. I think, you know, obviously our team too is pretty confident in their abilities uh, like I said, being on the road and winning as much as we did on the road during the playoffs, that game seven, that, that helped a lot going into game seven for sure. It was a big factor. Um, you know, I think being there for the first time, you know, with our team, I think that's why we're such a good road team. The pressure's not on as much when you're on the road. I feel that. I think at home, the fans and everything going on there, and there's a lot of distractions. Our guys, it's the first time they've, they've gone through that. I think that affected us at home at times. That's why we lost some games. So, but on the road, uh, we were a lot more at ease and played better hockey. I thought.
0: Jonesy, Holly looked pretty good. And that,
1: oh yeah,
2: and then <laughs> expectations uh, too, eh, Chief? Yeah, They change, sure. Right? Yeah. If you could, you could argue last year you guys in every series would have entered the series at least at even, or in some cases, being the underdog against all four teams that you beat. So. It's a little different now. Do you ask some questions around to coaches that have done it before to ensure when the playoffs roll around that you guys are ready to go because you're going to be favored a lot more than you were last year?
1: Yeah, I definitely talked to some different coaches about different scenarios, and Rick talk. it's one of them. They went through with Pittsburgh. They won back-to-back, and I got a lot of information, you know, from him. Um, just the start of the year, training camp, and, and throughout the season, we talked quite a bit about things. He's very helpful. Um, even though we're in the same uh, conference. <laughs> but and a guy like Ken Hitchcock, who I keep close tabs with, I talk to him a lot, he went through the same thing. Uh, They went to the cups back-to-back and what to expect and things like that. It was really helpful getting a lot of that information from a lot of our guys. But in the end, you still got to do what you feel is right as a coach and go by your gut. I believe that truly and what you believe. You still have to get information and gather information from a lot of people. Uh, But, you know, but in the end, you got to do what you think is right. But you're right. We are under more pressure uh, this year. And I thought our team handled it pretty well. I think we we're a very consistent team throughout the year. Uh, guys did a good job of uh, managing the, their, their uh, workloads and how they took care of themselves and things like that. So I think overall we were pretty consistent all year. And I thought that uh, our best hockey was yet to come, to be honest with you. I think our guys were just waiting a little bit longer for that to come playoff time and really push. I I
3: will say that I've been pushing for for Bennington for years but saw that he sort of got lost in the organization and even after you won the cup it still seemed like coming into this year there were people not me but people in the media saying well I don't know if he could you know replicate that is he a one-trick pony and clearly he he was having a really good year and and I think that's really something that sort of,
1: you know, with your great team, maybe didn't get covered enough? Yeah, well, for sure. Like, anybody's going to question some, a rookie coming up and winning a cup. And, you know, there's been other goalies, and they've been questioned too. That's normal. Um, but Benner's a very confident person. Um, he works extremely hard. And the, the one thing about him is if you don't – if you just take away stats, don't look at stats so much. The only stat you need to look at is wins and losses when it comes to this guy. He knows how to win hockey games, and he's very good at it. And, you know, he may not have the, have the best goals against the average. He may not have the best save percentage, but he's got a lot of wins. I think he's second in the league this year in wins mm-hmm. uh, and obviously winning as much as he did in the playoffs last year. He knows how to win. He's a uh, very confident guy. He's an aggressive goalie, uh, you know, so that's the key for me.
0: Jonesy, what was it like uh, from your standpoint? You're doing the game for NBC, <coughs> Stanley Cup Final, Game 7, all, all the craziness that surrounds it. You're in the arena. And, you know, Chief's one of your your better best friends that you you played with in this game. Still to this day, what was it like to see him win the Cup in that fashion?
2: It was cool. It was great in the third period when they had the lead and they could kind of settle into their style. And I had a good feeling for Chief in the morning. I, I was at that morning skate, and the Blues were – entirely healthy he actually had some tough decisions to make on who would be in the lineup they seemed to be getting stronger and they seemed like they had a lot of power Uh, I think that can be attributed to their style of play all year that Chief kept pushing them and making sure that they were physically ready to match up against a team like the Boston Bruins so it was awesome they won the cup to win three games against the Boston Bruins uh, the way their team is built is an incredible achievement to beat them in game seven in Boston it is unbelievably, uh, it's unbelievable. The job that, that was done by the blues in that regard too. So, uh, I was impressed by the whole thing. I thought he handled himself extremely well and obviously was really happy to see him raise the cup over his head.
1: Yeah, I was pumped Jones. He was down there. He came down after the game too. And we had a couple of hot lights together, which was nice. And, uh, seeing my buddy there celebrate with me. was awesome. And, uh, Another guy I'd like to just mention, an honorable mention, that uh, actually came on the ice, um, you know, when we raised in the Stanley Cup is uh, Dave Tickner. He's a good friend of Jonesy's. Oh, boy. Somehow He's a beauty. Jonesy got him on the ice after the game. <laughs> so I'm on the, ice. I'm on the ice and celebrating with my girlfriend, Dominique, and all of a sudden, here's – I look around, here's Dave Tickner. <laughs> I They go, this is incredible. Jonesy's got a lot of pull, man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I've been on a
3: bunch. I will say this. I've been on a bunch of those on-ice celebrations, and I love the way the NHL does it. But but Berube lifted that cup better than
1: almost any coach I've ever seen. Got to say that.
2: Still in shape. It. That's
1: why. I was why. Pumped. I was, ju- I was pumped, boys. I'm not going to lie to you. When that game ended, like Jonesy's saying, oh, we we're in control and everything, I was never uh, – at ease to be honest with you until there was like 10 seconds left and we had a face off and I think I felt a little bit at ease then and then once it was over I was relieved more than anything and then then I you know got excited for our team and the organization and winning the first cup and everything so I was pretty pumped up for those guys
0: I've heard this story uh chief from Jonesy's uh, point of view but I want to hear it from your point of view uh, Jonesy has told this story about, I think, I forget who you guys were playing against Jonesy, but you had to go over to the bench and tell somebody to get uh, get somebody on a leash.
1: Oh, who, I who, did. Yeah, you oh. did.
0: Somebody was running around and you went over to the bench yeah. and said, you better get your little head on in, a leash. That uh,
1: was New York Rangers. So a guy named Dale Puritan was oh, a yeah, uh, defenseman back then. He was a young kid trying to make a name for himself. He said some bizarre stuff on the eyes. He was a pretty funny guy, actually but he's running around and and I'm like, who is this guy? He's like a big dude. He's got tattoos everywhere. (laughs) He was scary looking. And I'm like, "Jesus, I'm not fighting him. What is going on here? (laughs) So he (laughs) couldn't settle him down. So I went to the New York Ranger bench and like just a whistle and a little bit of a timeout, And I went to Brian Leach. I go Leachy. You better settle this purifier down, I, him. <laughs> and Leitch, and I said. He's running around a lot. I'm losing it, Leachy. I said, if you don't settle him down, I'm going to settle you down. And Leachy goes, Chief, it's done. Don't worry about it. I'll get a hold of him. <laughs> yeah, Brian Leach wasn't going to fight. I watched his whole career. No, they he don't. And those fight. guys, they they don't like hearing that stuff. If yeah. you talk about you're going to go after them or do something to them, they're yep. going to go settle that guy down.
2: Yeah, we, we I, played those guys I, Jay, we played those guys in yeah. 94 eh, Chief, and in the playoffs and that same season I, uh, I was sitting on the bench and I was due up for a shift and we had uh, Nick Kiprios was running around for the Rangers and he, he threw a low hit on Peter Bondra it wasn't terrible it was a little bit questionable and I was due to jump out with Bondra and Pavonka, but before I did I saw the hit so I said Ruby you're up and uh, <laughs> you tapped him in I t- Chief jumped on the ice. He went over and threw a couple punches at Reels. He ended up getting a uh, was it a ten game suspension? Chief yeah, leaving the bench. 10 games. Yeah, leaving the bench for the purpose of getting in an altercation. And Shoney, the head coach, even got I think a fine or a, or a game suspension or something. And I was the guy that sent him over the ice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're coaching that the team there, John. That was his
2: coaching. That was your coaching debut, Jonesy that cost me a lot of money and a lot of bag skates for ten games. I'll tell you what. Yeah, and then they they had the Craig Beruby uh, skills camp in the summer at so the like, <laughs> the capital, so they could pay him back the twenty five grand it cost him. <laughs> Nobody showed up.
1: <laughs> Jonesy got in a fight. Uh, I forget who he fought. I think that might have been that Joel Sacco fight. So the next day we come in a room and he made a list. Jonesy and put our put him and his hockey cards underneath the list, and he goes sign up. Hockey
2: fight camp this summer. <laughs> 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 you remember that? that and and had, you know how you'll see sometimes at the grocery store something, people have the phone number down at the bottom, yeah. like yeah. for something they're trying to sell. That's what I tear had. tear tabs? Phone, I had little tear tabs on the bottom. <laughs> Ruby Jones,
0: what up. It, what was it like for you, Beauties, playing for Schoenfeld? Because he was oh. a maniac too. <laughs> he wore you out, boys. <laughs> he was a
1: tough coach. He was tougher than any coach I've ever played for. Like, great guy. I mean superhuman guy. But like his practices and what he demanded in games and wow. It was a lot it was a lot on you, boy. You had to play hard, tough and you all kind of sort all the little things and practices were tough all, a lot of a lot of skating and practice hard practice jonesy had a tough time with them all <laughs> <time.
0: laughs> the your at, career, jonesy they went
1: at
2: it they went oh, no. at it every single game every practice almost they, so what, what one night chief and i were at dinner at this restaurant called Lunas's and uh, Annapolis and Dale Hunter was with us and a few other people and at dinner we're talking and I I wasn't playing at the time I was just coming back from an injury so I think we'd lost like five or six games in a row and I'm telling those guys you guys are going to get skated tomorrow he's going to bury you guys you guys are done and all I was supposed to do was work out so I busted their stones all night the next day I come to the rink and Frank Costello was our strength coach Great guy, eh, Chief? Yeah, great guy. <laughs> so, so he comes up and he says, uh, he starts reading off the list of things that Sean Feld's got me doing in the weight room, like crazy <laughs> stuff, right? So, I unbeknownst to me, Shoney's standing behind him at the time, and I, I said, "What's this asshole got me doing this for, right?" And <laughs> Shoney looks around the corner. He's like, "You wait till I get off the ice with the guys, and I'll work you out myself." Oh, I'm like so. It went from me making fun of those guys the night before to them having a short practice and this guy coming out and taking it all out on me in the weight room. I was dead by the time that I had a weight vest on. I was sweating, lifting weights I'd never seen in my life before. And he laughed the whole time. And these guys walked out about a half hour early out of practice.
0: You weren't much yeah. of a warrior.
2: He was Shoney, Shoney worked out a lot, a hard himself. He was in good shape. So
1: yeah. He, uh, he demanded a lot from you. Know, like he, like I said, he was a good guy and uh, you know, learned learned a lot from him and, and uh, you know, I really liked him a lot, but he was tough. He was hard to play
2: for. Yeah, he, he and he is a great man. There there's no doubt about that. And anytime I've seen him until uh you know the last couple of years, he hasn't been around the Rangers as much, but always give him a big hug, especially when the Rangers went to the finals. I think 2012 against the L.A. Kings yeah. before they lost to the Kings. So he, had a, he had a lot to do with that franchise as well. would have been nice to see Shoney get his name on the Cup.
3: Yeah, he was big into the player development. He pretty much okayed anybody going up from Hartford to the
2: Rangers. So, yeah. He did it all in his career. He'd be a good guy to have involved in the organization. He was a coach for a long time. He had a great playing career. And, and then management, he was involved for a long time as well.
0: Jones, yeah, I heard you re- uh, tell the story uh, about. I think it was your second year in Washington when, when you just land based uh, an assistant coach. Something you're not proud of. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't today, it wasn't a great.
2: No, I don't. I don't know. I, not in the jobs I do now, I can tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, it was. A, it's a guy named Keith Fellain who coaches at Yale University yeah. now. He's, He's done really coach, well. Yeah. Yeah, he's done well in his career too, but he was just starting out at that time, and I kind of snapped one day in practice because he—I was told I wasn't going to play the next day in a game, that I was a healthy scratch, and I was already angry about that, and I—I I missed the net by a couple inches, and he gave me a blast of crap for for missing the net, so I snapped and shot a puck like 25 feet in the corner, and then um, he proceeded to tell me all all the things that he thought I was, and I came back at him and. He was right, I was wrong, but i it turned into an entertaining day anyway. So I kicked him off the ice and he left practice. He went into the locker room and I skated five guys on our team, Randy Burridge, Olaf Kolzig, Kenny Klee, and some other stiff who I can't remember. But anyway, we did these, <laughs> we, we did these drills. I've never skated so hard in my life, Chief, as, you, as you'll remember. So the, I ended that practice, like 30 minutes later. I knew I was in. A world of hurt. As soon as I got in that uh, locker room, because I knew Shoney be waiting for me. So <laughs> I I got in there and Shoney can, uh, recited everything that I said back uh, to me that I had said to Keith Elaine. And there were some crazy things I said to Keith <laughs> Elaine that I don't I wouldn't even repeat to this day. But uh, wrong on my part. But it was uh, <laughs> it was a bizarre day. That's for sure. I don't think too many players would do that anymore. But uh, I don't advise it. I, mean, I get you, it can get you traded pretty quickly this, after that. Is this like a coach's corner moment? You're telling the kids now, Jonesy, don't do that? Yeah, I, I highly recommend that they stay respectful to their coaches. But I got to admit, I snapped that day. And as Chief knows, I was known to snap a few times. Oh, yeah. You had some funny things. Well, Who is <laughs> Who was the defenseman that scored the hat trick for us in
1: that uh, ninety nine two thousand? And, Andy Delmar. Andy Delmar. Oh, we're yeah. in Jersey. We're playing the Devils, and we're in Jersey. And there was a time out, and uh, Andy Delmar. He had a great series against Pittsburgh, but he's having a tough time against the Devils. Different team. They're physical. You know, Andy was a you know a, a slight fast hockey uh, player defenseman. Good skill. So Jonesy's skating around on the ice, and I'm I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden Jonesy goes, hey, Cash, Wayne Cashman ran the D. Hey, Cash, you put that Delmar on the ice one more time,
2: and you're fired. This guy's got his trust on the back of his jersey the last series. <laughs> he, he did have a hell of a series against the Penguins. Oh, did oh, I, mean, I start and- laughing, man? Oh, it was pretty funny. Was I
1: scored a goal in that series. I scored a goal in game four. It was the end of the game. That was probably three minutes to go or something. Maybe something like that. I score a goal. I'm all excited, you know, and uh everybody's excited. Jonesy's on the bench, apparently. Turns around, he looks at uh Ramsey, who was the coach, he goes, What is that fucking chief doing on the ice <laughs> anyhow at the time of the game?
2: <laughs> and the boy started laughing. <laughs> That made it three to one. It was a huge goal for us. And then after it was a he tipped in a Dan McGillis shot from the point, right? So one of the great ways you can always bust on a guy is by uh, uh, giving credit to the guy that shot the puck. Look, in the McGillis had a room. he had a cannon.
3: McGillis, yeah,
2: shoot. he did. So I, I, in the locker room, I say, "Hey, nice goal, Gilly. Nice goal." And Tenman <laughs> <laughs> Chief didn't touch it, you know. So then you can see Chief's eyes. Stephen and the other thing I always did, which I got great reactions from, after a guy has a big game, even let's say Delmore scored the three goals in that one playoff game, as you're coming on the ice, everyone's congratulating the goaltender. I'd always go up to the guy, the forward that had the best game, and I'd say, hey, you got third star tonight. and Just to see the guy's reaction, because you know he's thinking he got first start. And they'd always have this stunned look on their face for a second. Like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You got first star. Way to go. It's your night.
0: You're a legendary ball breaker, Josie. How many checks did he write that that you had to cash, Chief? Josie? Yeah. Uh,
1: I cashed a few for him. Yes, he he did. He answered the bell himself, too, though. He had to answer it a few times, too. They all do. Like, even Dale Hunter, you know, Dale – you know, D- Dale would come up to me, and he, we'd be going on the ice. We played together at the end of, our, of, of his career, and mine. And he said, "Listen, Chief, we got to get something going here. You know, I'm going to go monkey around with a guy here, get something going, and uh, you know, get in there as quick as you <laughs> can." <laughs> so There's a couple, couple times where you know you get going, you grab somebody. Guys just grab you. You know, you're just you're you're fighting, and you don't know who you got. And Dale ended up with getting a tough guy on the other team <laughs> getting slapped around a little bit. I'd come in the locker room and he goes, Where were you? I, I told you I was going to start it. You, you got to grab the tough guy. I go, I don't know. Somebody else grabbed me, so I was fighting <laughs> them.
2: There's the a, you remember, sometimes though. You remember Brad May, guys? He, he played oh, in yeah. Buffalo a lot. Chief and I used to yeah. watch him with Huntsie all the time, and I'd always be saying, Ray, May, and Barnaby are coming tomorrow night because the, the Sabres loved to." The fight, I'd always tell Chief, you got to be ready for him. So uh, May, May was playing in Vancouver, and he lines up against me, and uh, he says to me, "Hey, hey, do you fight?" And I looked at him. I go, "Yeah, but not you." because "I need a fight. I, 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 my, I got to get a fight. I need a fight. I got to get things going for my team." I said, "Just a minute, I'll get a guy for you." I said, "I'm number 26. He's 27. He's only one number higher. It won't be hard." And I look over at the bench, and Chief's got a huge smile on his face with his teeth hang, missing in the middle. And I go, he'll be right out. Don't worry, Major. He'll be out for you. Yeah, Brad it was a. bench. After. Brad made a He was a tough guy and a tough punch. Out of my league, that's for sure. Chief can have him. <laughs> now
3: you may have been able to – now, Jonesy, I, I know Barnaby a little bit. You may have been able, been able to take
2: Barnaby – no, he, Barnaby was out of, Barnaby was tough. He fought a lot of tough guys. He did, but you know, he, he didn't win them all. No, but he showed up for them all. He was braver yeah. than I was. I give yeah, him a lot knew. of credit. Barnaby I fought Barnaby. He knew how to fight. He, he couldn't
1: he was hard to he was really hard to uh you know win against. Like he just knew how to grapple and, and he wasn't he was fearless. He didn't bother him, you know, he wasn't worried about it. And he'd be talking the whole time you fought him and, just trying to get under your skin and stuff. He was a pretty intelligent fighter, to be honest with you. You know, he he had a lot
2: of guts. He wasn't a big guy, but he, he'd get involved with a lot of guys. He was in that five-overtime game against us too, yeah. Chief. That was getting near the end of his career as well. But, yes, uh, he was
1: playing in that series for sure. Yep.
2: Yeah. and yeah. As, as all the crazy things he did, I actually had a lot of respect for the way that uh, he went about doing. He was a brave guy, and to fight yeah. guys like Chief in that, thats that was out of his weight class. I give him a lot of right. credit for that. Yeah. Chief, did you fight Probert? Oh, yeah, a lot. I think Proby and I
1: went at it like six or seven times in our career. We it, uh, the fact that he threw we both had a hands. Lot of
0: the fact that he threw both hands is that, that's a major problem, well, right?
1: Yeah. And just the fact that he was hard to hurt. Um, you know, and he could go forever. Like he had he had all, all the attributes a fighter needed. And he was he had that um you know, farmer strength, like he was just a, a big guy and he was strong, like not the weightlifting strength, the, the other strength, in my opinion, that's even, it's even harder to handle, you know, and like I said, he'd go forever. He wouldn't, you know, wouldn't tire out. And He could take a punch, man. I remember, I remember punching him in the spectrum with a punch and I shattered his nose and he didn't even, didn't even phase him. Like wow. in, there was blood everywhere and he kept going. I'm like, whoa! This guy's—he's a tough guy, man. That was my first fight against him, and you know, we for some reason we went out at it a bunch of times. Like I don't know, six, seven, eight times we probably fought in our career. He was probably the guy I fought the most. What the the one guy the most out of anybody, I'd say.
2: He had – his gear came off pretty quickly too, eh, Chief? That shirt would be off. There was nothing to hold on to. Yeah,
1: you're right. That happened a couple times too, which makes it even more difficult because when that stuff comes off. I was in a fight with him in Calgary, and I actually – I punched him, I don't know, the first four or five punches, and he kind of bends over and he pulls out of his gear, right? So were, we're probably six, seven feet apart from each other at this point, and I was just going to my mind, get in there, linesman. And Andy Van Halmen was the referee, right? So the linesmen were just about to step in and he goes, whoa, boys, what are you doing? Let him
2: go. <laughs> like, what? Those are the three words I never wanted to oh, hear. Oh, yeah, you don't want to hear
1: those words. Oh, <laughs> I was that's... like, what are you
2: talking about, Andy? Here, here's
3: one I need to ask Jonesy about. I looked at hockeyfights.com, February 22nd, 1996, against Craig McTavish.
2: Woof.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a chief... it off.
2: Yeah, Tif will know that one. I fought him right in front of the flyer, or right in front of our bench, and I couldn't get a punch or nothing. He kind of, we kind of grappled or wrestled. I don't think he got a punch in either, but I get back, and a lot of the guys were unimpressed with my fighting skills in that uh, in that scrap. So I said, hey, I won. I got his helmet off." <laughs> Fortunately, he never wore a helmet. Right. But,
0: um, Last player not to, to win. Yeah, yeah. that's You're right. Up. Uh, guys yeah. i, I want to wrap up real quick with kind of the pause and what's going on right now and get both of your perspectives start with you chief um you know you're going 100 miles an hour during an nhl season as a coach you got the rigidity of the schedule what's it been like for you to, to all of a sudden have the you know the, the season pulled out from under you with the pandemic and and do you think you guys are going to get back if you know playing without crowds is that viable playing playoff hockey in august and september with a shortened off season is that is that all viable for you
1: Um, yeah, first, uh, you know, it's tough, like you're going along, you're playing and you know, you know, you're, you're doing well as a team and all of a sudden bang, you're done. You can't play anymore, but it's bigger than hockey. We all know that. So you got to look at it that way. It's a, it's a worldwide thing. It's bigger than any sporting event. So, and it's tough, like for me, just personally, I'm only going to talk about myself because there's a lot of other people going through a lot worse with this and, um, you know, people that are sick and people that need a paycheck. People, you know, it's it's tough for a lot of people, but just for me personally, I'm lost because I, I, I'm not, I don't have a routine anymore, you know, and I'm a root, you know, you, you have this routine every day as a coach going to the rink, doing your thing and being around and, and doing all that stuff. So you got to find a routine again. It's a little bit more difficult because you got to stay home. You got to, you know, you're, you're self quarantined and you can go out a little bit to the, to um, the grocery stores and things like that, but you know, not a lot to do. Right. You got to find a little bit different of a routine, which is more difficult. The other, the good thing about it that's going on for me, is I'm with my family, which I'm normally not. I'm in St. Louis alone. My kids, my girlfriend is here, so I am spending a lot of time with them. Even though you snap every once in a while because (laughs) it's too much, and I tend to do that, which is okay. They know that, so they get through it. But uh, (laughs) doing this schoolwork with the kids is uh, really mind-boggling for me, to be honest with you. I'm a tough tough goal it? But your you might fi- subject, what's the
2: hardest subject for you oh the math is, I oh, it. i'm right you with might it. finally you might finally graduate from sixth grade Chief.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's not gonna pass math i'll tell you what i'm no, in the same thing no, i can't no, do no, it no. i feel like a total no. idiot chief i yeah, can't help my too. kids I'm,
1: and then and then i get mad at everybody and I give the I tell the kids how come you guys don't know? You are the guys are in school, not me. You should be knowing this, not me. But uh, whole, yeah, and the, on the side of it, or can we get back and play? Like I listen, the NHL is going to do their best to get back and play. You know, may, might be without fans. Who knows what happens here? Um, and it and I believe it can go into the summertime. I do believe that. I mean, um, I think that uh, Gary Bettman and the NHL want to hand the cup out in in the worst way and i i i'm okay with it like if we're gonna we can play we can play um you know i think it's important too to get the cup handed out uh, to the winning
0: team but we'll see what happens what do you think jonesy yeah i agree i think they're gonna
2: play i, I think it might be you know six weeks away and give the guys hmm. three weeks to get back and practice and getting play in shape I'm optimistic that it's going to happen I think it might be the first sport back Uh, maybe golf might if you consider that a major sport might be back before that but uh, I think uh, good things are on the horizon and I agree with Chief on everything else that he said it's been a real tough goal for everybody and uh, routines change but there's more
0: important things going on in the world right now. Yeah, very well said. Hey guys, this this was awesome. I appreciate you guys. You very uh, much. Yes. Jonesy uh, and and Chief, best of luck, Chief, uh, when they do come back and and running towards a back to back cup, uh, amazing uh, to be able to taste it. Last year, I know you want to get another kick at the can this year. Thanks for joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. We appreciate it. Anytime, see guys. boys.
1: Take care. Bye.
0: And there you go, part two of episode number seventy-five of the Stick to Hockey podcast. I, I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did having. Keith Jones and Craig Baruby telling some great stories, Ross.
3: Wait, you didn't even ask me, do I have a player for 75? This is, you always ask, and this is the one time you don't.
0: All right, do you have a player for 75?
3: Yeah, Ryan Reeves.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you better have one after uh, touting that you. <laughs> I didn't ask you about one. Um, wow, that, great stories from uh, Craig Berube yeah. and, and Keith Jones. And um, I was very happy to see Chief win the Cup. Yeah, because listen, I was
3: right there. I was three guy. inches from him. I mean, yeah. it was, I was thrilled for the guy. And, and look, I'll be honest, I was wondering when things were going bad, I said, this team is not that bad. Now, nobody expected it to turn around the way they did, but that's when I realized, okay, you know what? He has turned the corner as a coach, and I, had full res- I gave him full respect from, from that point on as a coach. Because, you know, in Philly, it was a little up and down, right? We know that. We covered that all the time. But he really, I felt like he really turned the corner. And, but I'm telling you, the way he pressed the Stanley Cup, you will never see a coach be able to do that like that. No way.
0: Yeah. He looked like he was going to throw it through the ceiling of the arena he did. <laughs> in Boston at TD Garden. <laughs> yeah. It was like bench pressing it. Um, the other thing, too, when it comes to, to Chief, is, um, Maybe his ability to run the bench got a, a, even more improved in his second stint there in St. Louis and he had good leadership and, yeah. you know, some really good players. But um, he's always had his finger on the pulse of his players. And I, I kind of read his pregame speech that he yeah. did before game seven. And it, maybe it wasn't the most eloquent thing, but that's just chief.
3: OK, so now after that whole discussion, have you turned the corner on Jordan Bennington yet?
0: Um. Not yet. I'm still not God, there. You're a stubborn uh,
3: son of a bitch. You really yeah, are. I
0: really man. am. I am. I did a whole <laughs> breakdown. I was on a podcast, uh, the omb puck pat uh cast um yeah. last yeah. night. And these guys that from the OMB puck Isaiah and the guys, they gave me a task and I had to break down all the twenty five and younger goaltenders of the Metropolitan Division. So all the guys that are coming, whether oh, yeah. you know Shisturkins be here with the Rangers and Georgiev Yur- yeah. and um, Samsonov. You look at Samsonoff and Washington, Sorokin, who's coming over, yep. um, Mackenzie Blackwood. and Boy, yep. you look at the young goaltending that's entering this division, Russ, and some of it's already here in Carter Hart and, obviously, Shostarkin and Samsonoff and, and Mackenzie Blackwood, and whether that's Corpus Allo or his and in, in Columbus, whatever it might be. But, geez, the young goaltending in this division for the next bunch of years could be really good.
3: It's going to be great. I mean, it really is going to be amazing to see. I, I give Shosturkin a little bit of the edge over the others. Shosturkin, I feel, is a little better than Sorokin. I think right now in their careers, he's a little better than Hart, but he's older than Hart, so that could change. Yeah, but right 24. now, yeah, so I, I'm going to put Hart second, Sorokin third. I'll put um, Blackwood fourth. And right now, Samsonov, just because I know what he could do, but he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, so, but yeah. but it's tremendous. Like that's just an unbelievable. We're going to see some great goaltending in the next ten years with these guys, and, and that's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at Sterkin in twelve games this year; he's got a nine thirty-two save percentage. And look, the Rangers improved, and, and they're not horrific defensively. Um, but those yeah, numbers—they're
3: not great. They're not, great, they're not defensively. great.
0: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's not like it's San Jose. No, 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 <laughs> so that,
3: it's not that bad. But he did make them better, and the way he handles the puck. He handles it like a veteran. Like his first play, he basically gave a headman pass down the ice and set up a scoring chance yeah, at MSG. Yeah, you know that's gutsy, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, Samsonov's an interesting one too. First round yeah. pick, yeah, um, and he's obviously the heir apparent there in Washington. But the, the one I wanted to ask you about, Russ, was the Penguins because uh, both Tristan Jari and Murray are RFAs. How do yeah. they move forward in Pittsburgh?
3: Well. I honestly think they will have to trade Jari. As much as I like Jari, you're not going to trade a guy or expose a guy who's won two Cups. You're just not going to do it. Unless he was unless
0: exposed he's, to another guy that won two Cups.
3: Yeah, but you know what? Larry. That was because they had two, player, two goalies that have won Cups. That's the only yeah. reason. So what team ever has that? So yeah. I think that's an unusual circumstance. I think this time they're going to have to keep Murray unless there was some injury that we don't know about that they don't like long term for Murray. I I haven't seen it and he did start to play better before the pause. So I think Jari's going to be the one that has to go, but the interesting thing is when does he have to go? Like we all assume that hey, they have to trade him in the offseason. They really don't. They could wait on this until the bitter end if they
0: want. Yeah, and they have Casey DeSmith there which would be a solid backup who yes. was with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. I I think they go green, here's why. Um And maybe, you know, the pause is going to affect this in some way, shape, or form because of the cap. Uh, But Murray's a guy, I think, making 3.75 now. Uh, Jari makes, I think, 700. So the jumping contract to contract. And Jim Rutherford, we know what he did the deadline with Zucker. And -hmm. he's always trying to delay the credit card payment. And, oh, yeah. and that bill from coming in, while it's building interest and keep the window open because you got Crosby, you got Malkin, you got Latang, and, and now you got Zucker and you got others. But um, and you have get Gensel back as well. He wants to try and win another cup. Um, so I think he's going to have to w- kind of figure out where to allocate his dollars. And I think he'll allocate it to Jari because it's not going to cost him as much.
3: I, I don't think so. But I think what they could do is, look at Jari's situation, he's an RFA Try and get him on a two-year RFA deal, and say, "Hey, listen, do you want to be a part of a Stanley Cup-winning team, possibly?" And you never know; it could be you. Like, if there's an injury, it could be you. Will Jari give up that extra year and go two years on an RFA to try and do that? If they can get him on that, your problem is solved temporarily. And
2: And I don't think
3: yeah, and I don't think they have to do anything. If he only goes one year, then yes, then there's going to have to be a decision. But you know what? I'm gonna. I, I bet you there's a 50-50 chance, maybe even a little better, that they could talk Jari into an RFA deal and and put off the inevitable.
0: Well, and, and they have control, too. He can, it's not they like do. he can just go wherever he wants. No. Um, Russ, a lot of the news since we last spoke on the Stick to Hockey podcast uh, was about potential returns for the game. Some other developments have happened. We've heard North Dakota, Grand Forks as a possible neutral location without fans, obviously. We've heard Saskatoon be mentioned uh, maybe some others could be upwards of. Uh, I know Elliot Friedman. Friedman was saying it could be upwards of four uh, spread around North America. Obviously, pretty rural locations where um, the the pandemic is not affecting those areas quite as um, strongly as it is obviously areas like New York and and big cities.
3: I mean, right now it's not. I mean, South Dakota is a hot spot right now, believe it or not. Yeah. So depending on how the people handle it there, but I'm with you. I I've been to the North Dakota rink. It's a world class rink. I spent two weeks there. I got sick of Jimmy John's. God, that place is awful. Um, <laughs> there weren't that many places to eat and there aren't that many hotels. But what I think people forget, and this was my whole thing, I feel like they should have just do it all in one rink and just keep bussing teams in and out. But if they want to do it in four, that's fine. But I think you do risk a little more with travel. But I think the, the key is you don't, everybody is so worried about them being in like a hotel together. You could basically just designate floors. I mean, These hotels now are not sold out, so you could buy out the whole floor easy and and have a floor in between them if you want. Like, it's not that hard. You could figure all that. I used to be in the hotel business. Trust me. Bob Dylan wanted to get a whole floor to himself once and did. You could do it. He didn't even pay for it either. That was the worst part. But you could do those things. The thing is, that Manchester rink, I've been there. That's not a great rink. I mean, I I don't know why that one is getting pumped other than it being rural, but you know, remember well, you Kansas have to City. have
0: practice sheets around and everything though too for day off in between games when you got to practice and yeah. skates and you're housing a lot of teams, a lot of locker rooms.
3: Yeah, I mean that Kansas City rink I hear is a lot better than the Manchester one, but again, I don't know what the situation is. Remember, Bettman used to push that one all the time, like, hey, maybe they would get a temporary team. I'm not sure, but the Manchester one puzzles me because it's it's really not great. It's decent for college, but. Either way, I mean, Fauci just said it today, and we've, we've sort of been thinking it. It's going to happen without fans. There's not going to be any fans. Like, we, we know this. The NHL is not going to say that till the last minute. But there's, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen without fans. You could test. Testing should be more available in the next month. You hear about all this private testing that soon people will be able to do it at home. Once that happens, they'll be testing guys all the time. I don't think it'll be every game but it might be, you know, once a week, whatever it is, they'll be doing it and they'll be able to assure it. Now they have to keep their players in line. As an example, Dak Prescott having a dinner party for 10 people. You can't do that because that could actually hurt your whole team by doing that. If somebody were to do that right before, let's say they left for to play NHL games, that could kill everything. Right? So these guys all have to be 100% committed and really have to stay away from a lot of people unfortunately they're going to have to stay away from their families for like two, three months. It's going to almost be like the, uh, the red army camp, like when they used to lock yeah. those guys away, but, but this is the only way you're going to be able to do it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and obviously the NHL is going to go to extreme lengths to get it done. Now, one oh, yeah. of the things, the byproducts of this is obviously if there's no fans, um, the atmosphere is different. You don't get the swings from the crowd and, and that kind of stuff. But, uh, I think that's a bit overstated anyway, um, but one of the things, and, and Bill Mats uh, uh, from Crossing Broad brought this up to me, or not Crossing Broad, excuse me, Broad Street Hockey brought this up to me yeah, on yeah. Twitter, and he said, I, "I don't want the Flyers to win a cup without being able to hold a parade." Why? He said, "Let baseball do its thing and be background noise for the rest of this BS." I said seriously, a parade means that much to you. Yeah, and, you and could his do a point parade,
3: was, you could do a parade next September. Who cares?
0: Yeah, you don't have to do it immediately. I know do do
3: you could do it a year from the date. Who cares? you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. to me, the the joy in it is look, the parade's a part of it. It's the exclamation point. But the joy of it is, first of all, the ride number one, and number two, the, the senior team lift the cup to me is the penultimate moment.
3: I, yeah, I mean, it's
0: just a party. You know what I mean? That's that's an after hours club.
3: I get that the fans want to be a part of that. And I've experienced it, you know, and, and, and so I understand it. But end of the day, you take the cup. You don't worry about where the parade is. I mean, again, the worst parade Cup's is the available. Devils.
0: You want the cup.
3: Yeah. I mean, the worst parade was and it wasn't even a parade was the Devils, right? They just had it at the rink. I mean, even if they did something like that, where fans maybe got exclusive video of them inside the rink celebrating, they'll do something. And then maybe a year from the date, they'll have a big celebration. It's fine. You still won the cup. You could brag on Twitter. I think Bill needs to chill on that.
0: Yeah, here here's the thing. What you do in, in this day and age is you have a Zoom parade. You, you do a, like the NFL draft, <laughs> you, do a, parade. you do a virtual parade. And like my wife does these virtual happy hours. They all get on like Facebook Messenger, like six people. Yeah. And they all like make these faces with the, the app or whatever. And then they talk and they drink and they, and that's how they have their social time. So we do a virtual parade. I don't think
3: the virtual parade's a good option. Well, street
0: cleanup's a lot easier. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Street cleanup is a lot easier, um, but no. Like I said, even if they have it, and the cup is in the rink, and your guys are lifting it, you're still watching it. It's still your team. It'll be fun.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, somebody mentioned was, well, you're not going to get that Jason Kelsey moment, you know, Whatever. in the stock. Might... Who's going to provide that from the Flyers? Maybe Kevin Hayes.
3: <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hayes would would be that guy. And if you think Kevin Hayes is going to have any less fun or it's going to be muted if he were to win the cup, you're sadly mistaken.
0: Yeah, you're right. It would be funny, though. I could come up with a list of all, like, because basically what Jason Kelsey did at that parade was the airing of the grievances. Right. Howie Roseman can't draft. Right. Uh, this guy can't do that. You know, it would be rip off the sea. Uh, you know, those kind no, but, of things. But, but We don't have this. the
3: goal. I, I will <laughs> say this, though. The one thing I have gotten tired of in sports is basically every athlete same when they've won, they all counted us out. And once in a while, it doesn't ring true. Like yeah. for some teams, it rings true, right? They do have a lot of critics. But sometimes it doesn't ring true, and they say it anyhow. And that bugs me.
0: Well, that's just manufactured, you know, w- yeah. a way to get yourself heightened up. Uh, yeah. The one thing that would be interesting, Russ, and i got to get your, your opinion on this, if they do have the playoffs in some neutral location and no fans, when they eventually do hand out the cup, will they pipe in – Crowd noise booing for Gary Bettman. No,
3: but it would be great if they did.
0: <laughs> it would be funny, wouldn't it? Would even though it. I'm so over that whole thing of booing the commissioner.
3: Yeah, but it's like you know, it's like the heel wrestler. Like he really, at this point, he embraces it. He does embrace it. Like he is, he has handled that better than any commissioner I have ever seen with negative comments with everything. He he barrels right through it, even at Winter Unfazed. Classic. Unfazed. Yeah. yeah. Unfazed. Even at like the winter classic, he'll get booed. And, you know, and it's a neutral site. Like it's, you know, we're not neutral, but, you know, it'd be like out in Dallas, you know, people are booing him. It's like, he's used to it. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. He gets booted at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um- And he perhaps now and and look, during his tenure as the commissioner, he's had to make a lot of very big decisions and stand ground on salary cap and hockey related revenue and split and um, escrow and all these things. But right now he may be facing his biggest.
3: Yes. Go back and look at the John Ziegler era and then talk to me. And I know people that worked with John Ziegler and I asked them specifically about it. Bettman's done a really good job. If people want to rip him, that's fine. But I'm telling you, he has done a great job. And this sport could have turned around in the worst way, you know, before that last lockout and just not gone under, but just really just lost teams, lost Bated, tons right. of revenue. And it could have been much more marginalized than it is now. I, I think it's very successful. And I don't have anything bad to say about Gary Bettman, honestly.
0: Yeah, I think he's he's done a good job with TV. Um Look Absolutely. at the cap when they came back from the lost season. I mean, the cap was $38 million. Yeah. It's now eighty-one and a half. Yeah, I mean, the revenues have skyrocketed. Uh, the worth of the franchises has gone way up. Players are making north of $10 million. The, the now, players it does that help. deserve it, the best players.
3: It does help that. And we, have to, we should, as fans, thank NBC because ESPN, obviously, didn't give a crap. And mm-hmm. nobody else was really – Once they accepted.
0: had their no skin in it, yeah.
3: Right. And, no, and, and other, other ones, other networks stepped up a little bit to try and bid. I think CBS may have been on, on the bidding, but NBC got it cheap, right? But they didn't keep it cheap. And and I think NBC's done a really good job with it. And the next one, they're going to pay more. There's no question. But I think they've really elevated what... I mean, look, everybody loved the ESPN. Don't get me wrong. But in this era, in the tech era, I think they've done a really good job.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, last thing, we'll put a wrap on episode 75, uh, Ross, is this. Um, if... They don't come back, or even if they do come back, but the regular season obviously doesn't take place and there's lost revenue uh, as a byproduct of that. Maybe the playoffs are even shortened. The first couple rounds are five games, whatever. No fans. um, And the cap is either flat or goes down. Um, One of the remedies for that would be to institute a one-time compliance buyout for teams because you look at the Rangers. like They were planning at the trade deadline to to probably trade Chris Kreider. They opted to to re-sign him with the notion that next year's cup and the projection was going to go up right now, all of a sudden it could go down or flat and it puts teams in a really bad position, not by anyone's fault. Obviously um, it wasn't like it was bad GMing that caused this no. issue for them. So if they're, uh, first of all, would you be in favor of the league and the players agreeing to a compliance buyout for foremost?
3: Well, I've heard people tell me that they believe that that will happen. Some smart people. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that will happen. And again, I think it's going to happen without any possible cap circumvention. Like, I think you're going to have the option to do it. And you as a team decide, are you doing it or not? And that's it. It won't be like held over. You won't be going into the two years down the line. It won't be like one that you could hold on to. It's just gone. Right. It's just gone. And you either do it. And there are some teams that are not in bad shape, so they may not use it. Right. But that's but I think it's going to happen. And I think the cap will stay flat. I don't think it will go down. I think it will stay exactly where it is with that buyout. And then, yeah, you're going to see some changes. You're going to see um, probably more trades than we had seen before. Mm-hmm. Some teams are going to have to divest of certain players. There's no question. It, will, it definitely will affect the free agent market over the summer. I mean, it's already affected like the college free agents. I mean, a lot of them reverted back to their own teams, which doesn't always happen. So I think you're going to see a bit more of that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I look at potential candidates in a compliance buyout situation. Would the Rangers buyout Lundqvist? No,
3: no, they they would never do that to him.
0: Nope. I mean, is that more embarrassing to him? Uh, to, a, a way to treat the king on his way out than making him the third goalie next year, like they did in parts of this season?
3: They'll they'd rather go with three. I think. I think Brendan Smith well, would that's be the a guy.
0: Terrible situation for goalies.
3: It, it is, but I. I just don't think they'll do that to him because, again, you do that to Henrik Lundqvist, you're sort of risking now him never coming back to the Rangers, him never having a night. Him, there's a lot of things that get attached to that, right? Him, you know, when he's going into the Hall of Fame, talking all about the Rangers, all that marketing. I don't think they're going to do that. But I think Brendan Smith will be the guy that they probably buy out. And I do think they'll go with three goalies. I do. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no rule. Or, or maybe she-
0: move Georgiev.
3: We all say that, but now it seems like they don't want to, and if they could get away with the three for another year, it's not like they can't. There's no rule that says you can't.
0: I don't love a tandem of two young goalies, though. I know they're 25 and 24, but still.
3: Yeah, I mean, nobody does, but in the old days, like when Van Beesbrook and Richter were together, they eventually got rid of Van Beesbrook, right? But they don't have to get rid of anybody here, and I've contended that for a while now, and they may not.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brodeur and Terreri. <laughs> All right. right. Terreri was never a threat to
3: start. No offense to Chris Terreri.
0: Come on. He was actually a decent goalie, though. He
3: was good before he was Brodeur, back
0: but then was you... Richter for the Team USA, wasn't he?
3: Yes. But he was good until you saw Brodeur there, and then you realized, okay, this guy, he's lost <laughs> his job forever.
0: <laughs> uh, um, well, we'll see what happens. Is there any candidates, uh, flyer candidates that you would uh, have compliance by out there snug against that cap?
3: Yeah, they are snug. I, you know, I think it's going to be a guy that we like a lot. I think it would be JVR.
0: Yeah. But then you kind of do create a little bit of a hole for yourself, too, that you're going to have well, to refill. but, Morgan but...
3: Frost, Frost could fill the hole.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, is, all of a sudden there's going to be all these players that just got paid a lot of money to not play for the team, and they'll be out there on the market, and yeah. they don't need a big deal. They just got big payday on the way yeah. out. Yeah. I think how the much term they had left as well. Now, I will tell all you right, Russ,
3: this. I, uh, one last thing when we do see a playoffs i think there will be guys playing with the notion that they don't want to be that guy that gets bought out i think that could motivate some players
0: yeah absolutely um that's going to put a wrap on episode number 75 special thanks to keith jones from the nhl and nbc and also the head coach of the stanley cup champion st louis blues craig berube for joining us on this episode russ great job stay healthy appreciate everybody listening We'll check you out on the next episode of the Stick Talkie Podcast next. Breathe,
2: trust, bless me, and release.
1: Climb hard, never be seen. Close up, rescue to breathe. Trust,
2: bless me, into sight.